Hey there, Arkansas. Welcome to the Riding with Rodney podcast, a project of the Rodney Govins for Congress campaign featuring Rodney himself with co-hosts Steve Graff and Crystal Perkindall. That's me. If you like what you hear, please consider contributing your spare change or making a one-time donation to help Rodney get elected. Donate, grab a killer Riding with Rodney t-shirt, or simply learn more about the campaign at RodneyforCongress.org. That's spelled out, RodneyFORCongress.org. This podcast production is paid for by committee to elect Rodney Gevins. Good morning. We're here this morning with Rodney Gevins that is running for Congress in Arkansas Congressional District 1. I'm Steve Graff with Stand Up Arkansas. How are you doing this morning, Rodney? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing all right. You know, another beautiful day in paradise, right? Yeah, always. I appreciate having you on today. Um, Today, I'd like to talk about something that I know is um, pretty close to your heart, and that's some of the stuff that's going on with the uh, school shootings and the shooting after the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl. Talk to me about what's on your mind. I think it's I think it's beyond time that we've had some uncomfortable conversations around how much we actually love guns. You know, I own a couple of guns. Steve, I'm ex-Army. I know an M16A2. I know an AR-15. I know, you know, what a weapon of war is. I know what a rifle is. I know what it can do. But I also know that I love kids way more than I love my guns. And it is time that we figure out some kind of way that we can do both. I think it's I think it's time that we start having the uncomfortable conversations, right? Uh, and I don't think that we need to have knee-jerk reactions. I don't think that we need to go after everybody's guns and start taking guns away and, and all sorts of stuff. But I do believe that we need to at least start discussing it instead of just simply passing out thoughts and prayers until the next one occurs. You know, November 5th of last year on filing day, and I, I think you were there, so you know, in between station three and four of me filing, which is supposed to be a joyous occasion, right? My family was geeked up for it. You know, my, my you know, close ones, my circle. I got a text message that my niece was cowered in a corner uh, because there was an active shooter on her campus in Lawrence, Kansas at uh, Lawrence East High. It, it, this This kind of stuff is happening way too regularly. And then to turn around and supposed to be a momentous occasion, a joyous occasion, back-to-back Super Bowl winners don't happen that often. People go out to celebrate with their kids so that their kids can see the heroes behind those jerseys, behind those helmets. And we had 11 children that were shot and had to be taken care of in a hospital at a Super Bowl parade. It is beyond thoughts and prayers at this point. Thoughts and prayers are great. We need those too. But it's also time for us to logically start thinking and talking about what we can do to curb some of this violence. And it's not, Steve, I'm not suggesting that everybody just go and destroy their guns tomorrow. I think that's a little too much of a knee-jerk reaction. But what I am talking about is exactly what happened with DUI laws in this country decades ago. DUI was running rampant. You talk to any law enforcement officer from back in the 50s and 60s, and they will tell you DUI was running rampant. Some counties would let it go. Some counties counted as a misdemeanor. Some cities and municipalities wanted to lock you up forever. It was all over the place. They didn't even have a standardized test for it, right? You just look at the guy. Oh, he's good right? Let me go ahead and help him get home. And in some cases, of course, you know, and we can bring up the profiling aspect of that too, but in some cases, you know, they would go ahead and put you in what they call the drunk tank. It wasn't until we standardized it across the country. Every county, every city, from a federal perspective, 
let's go ahead and put in a mechanism, the breathalyzer, so that we can measure if somebody is drunk when they are actively driving behind the wheel. Once we did that, we curbed it. We didn't stop it. We're never going to stop every single one. But I would contend that having a mass shooting event every week, every other week, I think it's a little too much. And it's time that we start talking about curbing it. I don't know the exact number, but the last I'd heard, there were either 17 or 18 active shooters that have already occurred in the state of Arkansas this school year, and at least one with shots fired. And yeah, I got to tell you, Roddy, this this is a tough conversation, and I agree with you. We got to come up with solutions, but I think I'm pretty typical of Arkansans. You know, I grew up with a gun in my hand. I had my first 410 shotgun when I was like four years old. I had a 20-gauge shotgun when I was six years old. I've been a part of the Rixie Deer Camp my whole life. My dad joined together with a, a bunch of his friends in 1972, and They've all been together ever since. You tell those guys that you're taking their guns and they get upset. Like, I understand it. I've grown up with it. But I'm with you. You know, what's happening with, with kids and what's happening with gun violence, there's got to be a solution. And we've got we've got to come to the table and start having discussions from both sides. All of us, no matter how we stand on it, all of us will agree that it, the killing is unacceptable. But I also know, and I'd like to throw out there, when I was growing up, and I'd, I'll have to do the research, you might know this, but you couldn't have an automatic weapon, machine gun. You had to get it registered. Like 1928, if I remember, there was a machine gun law or automatic weapon law. And yeah, they can say that an M16 or an AK-47 isn't fully automatic, but come on. You pull that that trigger down, you can pull it down faster than the, you can get those bullets to come out. I've done it. I, I'm also ex-military and I understand weapons, but you know, I also went through gun safety training and hunter education in the fourth grade and 10, 10 years old. That's the culture that I grew up in. And I know how to handle a gun and I know what a gun can do, but that doesn't stop people that shouldn't have the guns in their hands. You know, and I know that we can talk about red flag laws. You know, if there's people that literally have restraining orders against them because of fear of violence toward their partner or a family member, that person shouldn't be able to go get an automatic weapon. You know, there's no way that an 18-year-old high school senior should be able to go out and purchase a weapon. I know they can go to war. I've, I've, I've given that argument in my life. It's time to talk. I think from, from a military perspective, as much training as I've gotten on an M16A2, I have no problem with a veteran going out and getting an AR-15 if that's what they want to do. I'm not a fan of red flag laws in all aspects. Because when you start flagging people for mental health reasons, right, right, um, you you start you started you know you start infringing on people's rights, and I don't want to do that. But I think that there can be some solutions, there can be some compromise, and I think we can accomplish all of this. Number one, preserving life instead of loss of life, right, and number two, preserving our rights instead of loss of rights. I think we can do both, but it, we we can't do it just with a knee-jerk reaction, and we can't do it without having a conversation. I think from a, you know, from an automatic perspective, even a semi-automatic perspective, a lot of people try to give out the excuse that they go hunt with their AR-15. If you're hunting with the AR-15, I'm going to have to question how accurately you can shoot. Well, and come on. You don't, you don't I, I, to take an AR-15 hunting. 
a problem. I just have to ask. I have to ask, how good really are you, right? Because an AR-15, that's an assault weapon. That's a that's a weapon of war that was, you know, to help clear rooms, small arms, close combat. That's what that weapon's designed for. Now, I understand you got some big game out there. I get it, right? Um, if you want to go down to Texas, you want to hunt those boar down there, I get it. However, I don't think you need an AR-15 to go hunting on a regular with a couple of deer tags, or even if you want to go and hunt gator. I don't think an AR-15 is necessary. Well, come on. I think you, I think you can get by with far less than an AR-15 or an assault-style weapon. Look, I'm a hunter. If I'm going to go out and spend the money on a tag and spend the money on gear and pay for my camo and pay for my orange and take time off and sit in a stand when it's 35 or 40 degrees and walk out when it's 4.30 in the morning and sit there in the ice cold, I'm not taking an AR-15 with me. I'm taking something I'm going to knock a deer down like a 30-06. Come on. That's right. Anyone that's using that saying that they hunt with these AK-47s and these AR-15s, that is a bogus lie. I'll guarantee you that less than 5% of all AR-15s are used to hunt. I, I hunted with an I hunted with my M16A2 and my M203 when I was in Iraq, and people that I were hunting were terrorists. <laughs> I was hunting I was hunting the insurgency in 2003 to 2004. We were using a deck of cards to figure out what they look like, and we would go out there and find them. That's what you go hunt with those weapons for. Well, y'all, you don't go hunt a deer. Well, you and I, being ex-military, both know this. The M16 weapon was designed with one purpose in mind, and that is to kill human beings. It was mm -hmm. designed to do the maximum damage to a human body. It is why the M16 was made, and the AR-15 is simply a commercial version of the M16A1. So, well, the, and the M16 and the M16 was designed that, and it's one of the sturdiest weapons for a reason. Because it was designed to withstand a beating. You could drop that thing in mud. You can, you know, you'd be in the middle of, you know, a, a torrential downpour, right? That firing pin's still going off. That it was a wonder it's a wonderfully designed weapon of war. Again, war. If you feel like you are at war at your home, we need to discuss your living situation. Because nobody, and 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 let me make this clear, even when I'm elected. Nobody is coming to your house to take your guns. But if you're going to sit here and make me choose between my children and my weapon, I am going to give up my weapon to keep my children, to keep my children safe. Right now. And we can go into accountability because that that's another thing. I think there's a lack of accountability here. The, the These kids right and and kansas city aside we're talking about school shootings most of these kids it's not their weapon it's dads it's grandpas they're going and they're taking these weapons my first question is how did he get it if you properly lock up your weapon then he's not going to get it and if you're not properly locking it up or if you're sharing the safe code or if you're allowing them to willy-nilly go in and get it at any time to my, in my in my mind, you are just as accountable 
and you need to have some consequences levied too. I, I agree. This is a no-brainer. A weapon is used for a school shooting or for a mass shooting. You trace that social security number back, and whoever that gun is registered to needs to suffer the same consequences as if they pulled the trigger, period. And people can say, oh, it could be stolen. That's your responsibility as well. To report your weapon stolen. Mm-hmm. Better have have control of the weapon and the, the bullets. And if it's been stolen, you better promptly let people know that before something's happened. If there is a shooting that happens and comes back and you go, oh, well, somebody stole my weapon. Well, then you should have had it in a locked place. You're responsible for it. You go to prison for murder. And, and I don't I don't know if that's the answer. Right. But I know that there's there's got to be some kind of level of accountability because. You know, and, and, and I wouldn't, you know, maybe murder, maybe murders are far reach, right? Maybe manslaughter is a far reach, but there has to be some level of accountability because right now we're not seeing that, right? And I know a lot of people want to bash the current generation of kids, my, you know, myself included from time to time. I'm like the old man screaming, get your cats off my lawn, right? But when we don't go ahead and hold ourselves accountable, how in the world can we turn around and hold these kids accountable? And they're watching us. Trust and believe that. They're watching us. And it, it, it pains me because, you know, my niece and she's at a she's at a point now. She's you know, she's in journalism a little bit at her high school. She's, you know, one of the editors on her pay on her school paper. And we talk about some of these, you know, more difficult topics. And, you know, my foster kids that I represent, I'm a CASA. They're, you know, when it comes to pro-life, I'm, I'm all about it. Right. I, I love my kids. Court. Appointed special advocate for those that are asking. That's for the foster kids. Right. You're, a, you're a court appointed advocate for foster children. Just so the audience right. knows. And I am and I am pro children to the core. So it pains me whenever stuff like this happens with school shootings. But when I sit back and I have to answer the tough question, because I still haven't come up with a good answer yet. When my foster kids go through their active shooter drills, and some of them are in high school, and they look at me and they ask me. They say, man, what in the world? Like, so people love guns more than they love kids. And that is a hard question to hear because that is the perception that our children have. And that doesn't, that's not just limited to, was it Parkland down in Florida? Or, you know, and we can go back in this state. This state doesn't have the greatest history in Jonesboro in 1998. So, you know, we, we've got to come to a point as adults, we have to be comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation around the second amendment because the interpretation you know the founding fathers left it as a living breathing document for a reason we can always amend it we can always figure it out right and when i sit back and i read it it says well-regulated militia we have one the united states army the united states air force the united states navy i'm not going to mention the marine corps because they don't even have their own department but you know i'll rib them a little bit with that but we have a well-regulated militia I want to take the devil's advocate on that because there is a second interpretation that our Mm -hmm. U.S. Supreme Court has not made. You know, this that this well-regulated militia argument is where people say that they can have these weapons of war and, and these automatic weapons and weapons that are meant to be to kill people, not to kill animals or to protect yourself. They're they're an offensive weapon. And they'll argue that the well-regulated militia says that we have a right as citizens to stand up against our government. You know, the people in January 6th and that 
insurrection were, were crying that we have the right to fight our government, to raise arm against our, our government. I'm here to tell you, having a weapon on your own in your house is not a well-regulated militia. If you want to get together and have and form a militia and let the government know that you're forming a militia and you're stockpiling weapons and that you have them under safes and under key, go for it. As much as I'm against these these militia that want to stand up against the, the government, I can see the interpretation of the Constitution for that. I can see that. So, but, the, but this is the thing, right? And this is what people keep forgetting. And they, it's cherry picking. And I'm tired of the cherry picking, right? The, the document clearly states, and if you're a constitutionalist, you can't disagree. It says right there, three words, well-regulated militia, regulated which means you don't just get to go and get with your buddies and stockpile a bunch of guns and go get an MRAP or an M1A1 tank and just have it out in the middle of the woods and nobody knows because that's not regulated. And it says well-regulated, which means that you're subjected to audits. You're subjected to visits from the very government that you claim you may have to fight one day. It is what it is. You can't have it your way, but you can have it this way. And if this way is not working, the Founding Fathers allowed us to amend this document and bring it up to speed as society progresses. And here we are. Right. And I tell people all the time because, I, you know, and, and not to get too far off topic, but I tell people all the time, I'm pro-life. I am. I'm, I work in the foster care space. I used to be a foster kid. Right. I love my foster kids because nobody else seems to. And I sit back and I live in the Ar in the state of Arkansas where my governor says we're the most pro-life state in the union. And I have to sit back and I have to start asking people, how pro-life are we? Because when I sit back and look at pro-life, pro-life to me is making sure that we take care of the 4,400 kids that we got in foster care. Because right now we only got 1,500 approved homes. So that's not very pro-life. Pro-life to me is making sure that our elderly are taken care of. And our elderly living on fixed incomes don't have to worry about and live in fear of medical pricing them out of house and home. They shouldn't have to worry about that. They, don't ha they shouldn't have to worry about their Medicare. They shouldn't have to worry about the price of insulin. They shouldn't have to worry about the price of prosthetics. They should be able to re be retired, live on their fixed income, and enjoy life because that's pro-life. Wherever you want to start it, it's inception, at birth, wherever. But that's not where it ends. It's not supposed to. It's unfortunate because I'm all about freedom. I, I love the country. I love what the premise is. I think life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the right of all American citizens, regardless of where you're born. I don't think where you're born and how much money your family has should be a hindrance. I don't think it should be, I don't think it should be an advantage or disadvantage. I think everybody should be able to go out and, and pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Now, hard to pursue life, liberty, and happiness when I've got to go cower in a corner because somebody's got an AR-15 in my high school. The last thing I need to worry about is that. I got a calculus exam right around the corner. I've got an English paper that's due in two days. And of course, I've been procrastinating because I've been working trying to pay off my own car insurance. There's, there's life that these kids are actually dealing with and adding in a weapon of war to be stressed out about is a little bit too much. That's why we have a lot of anxiety in our society today. Kids have to worry about so much more than, than I had to worry about, even me. 
And I came up during Columbine. I remember the trench coat mafia. I remember all that stuff. And and I just sit back and we throw out the terms like pro-life and we throw out the term, you know, we throw out the hashtag save the children and we throw out all this stuff and we talk all this great game. But this is where it boils down to. This proves how pro-life are you? Do you really want to save the children? Because what are you willing to do in order to make sure that not another child gets shot? What can we do in this country? And that's where I think we're at, Steve. I think we have to start having that particular conversation. For all the pro-lifers, for all the medical freedomers, for every single person, constitutionalist, for every conservative, for every liberal, I don't care where you fall on this thing. We need to talk. We need to talk. And we need to propose actual solutions to problems and not hide behind some hot button topic that seems to never want to be brought to the floor when sessions actually start. Rodney, I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're out there having the hard conversations and and bringing up the hard questions for us to talk about. It's what we need in a congressman and I appreciate what you're doing. Any last uh, messages you want to tell the audience, how they can get in touch with the campaign, where they can reach you, maybe where they can see you or anything before we go? Absolutely. We're deep into our riding with Rodney initiative, right? Going across all the counties. I want to, I want to touch every single county and actually get the download of, of the local historic significance of each county. You know, cause a lot of times you, you read about places, but you don't know the story because nobody's really talking at the local level. And I want to go out. I want to talk to the people. I want somebody local to, to take me around for two hours, two and a half hours, show me your town, show me what makes it unique. We're deep into that. And if anybody is interested in that, you can visit our website, rodneyforcongress.org. You can, you know, click on our volunteer button to find out more about how to go and and be our tour guide in riding with Rodney uh, for your specific town. Uh, You can also reach us at hello at rodneyforcongress.org. And that's Rodney for Congress, all lowercase letters. We're, We're massively excited to get out and and talk to people because you know we don't have that kind of representation but it definitely is the kind of representation we need i agree it's time for people to stand up and i i'm glad that you're out there motivating everybody this has been riding with rodney podcast here um in arkansas he's running for congress over on the eastern side in the delta all the way up to harrison arkansas it's a big district thank you for being here today rodney and we'll see you out on the field appreciate the time thank you steve 